For our second message today, we have a sermon entitled, Unto Perfection, by Mr. Barnabas Grayson. Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon. Whoa. Woke you up, didn't I? Woke myself up. I would begin with a joke, but I won't. Today we're going to look at the uh, book of Hebrews. And there is a lot of things in that book pertaining to the role of Jesus Christ as a mediator, as high priest, and as a sacrifice that redeems us to God the Father. And there's a lot about the new covenant, uh, the priesthood of Christ, and uh, doing away with the old covenant sacrifices. Now, to Jewish Christians, which uh, Hebrews is written to, uh, these changes would have been a little difficult to accept. And even after accepting them, there was a danger of falling away from that new faith. So whoever wrote Hebrews, it was intended as a message, not only of encouragement, but also we find that there uh, was some exhortation to go on unto perfection, and that in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 22, it says, uh, I beseech you, brethren, Suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written you a letter, for I have written you a letter unto you in few words. In other words, he's saying, brothers, I ask, I ask you to bear with me this message of encouragement, for I have written to you rather briefly. So, you know, not everything could be explained about uh, there in Hebrews because uh, it draws upon things in the Old Testament and things that have become new in the New Testament. So as we look into this book, this book of Hebrews, we'll be doing some uh, uh, looking at scriptures, some back and forth looking at scriptures, but mostly here in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 1 it says, this, now this letter as I mentioned was uh, written to Jewish Christians, probably in Rome, uh, that scholars say, uh, who have analyzed this book. But it was written in order to remind them and redirect them toward Christ because apparently some were looking back to what, you know, uh, some might term Judaism. Some were wavering and, and indecisive as to whether to continue as a Christian or go back into those traditional things that they had learned from uh, times past. And so there was a real danger of some of them rejecting Christ and they had to be warned. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So we back into chapter 6 verse 1 it says therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go on unto perfection not again laying the foundation of repentance from dead works 
and of faith toward God. Now the thing that stands out in this verse for us is that the writer is telling the Hebrews what he's telling the Hebrews to do, and that is to go on <clears throat> to perfection. Let us go on to perfection. So that was the message then, and it is an ongoing message for us today with the aim of moving forward, with the aim of uh, going unto perfection or maturity in Christ. This Greek word for perfection simply means completeness or full growth. So when something is full grown, it is complete in its development. And as other Bible translations interpret it, the word essentially means maturity. Let us press on toward maturity, if you read that from the American Standard Version. Or if you read the NIV, it says, let us go on to maturity. So we might ask, well, what kind of maturity? Well, the Amplified Bible says spiritual maturity. So we know that is the goal of any Christian, spiritual maturity. And the Bible teaches many things about spiritual maturity, about all the uh, things that we need to put into our mind from the Word of God and to do those things, to do the will of God. But we see that it is Christ that must be our aim, that he must be uh, the goal, that he must be the focus, or we will miss our mark. So we can glean from this uh, verse that what the Hebrews needed to do was to go on to perfection or, or to go on to maturity. When something uh, is dead, it's not alive. But they were looking back, and no doubt some, you know, with fear and indecision as to whether to have complete trust in Christ or saving power to forgive sins or to just go back into those former traditions. So we see in this verse, we're uh, they and we are told not to lay down again the foundation or this substructure uh, sub of repentance from dead works or dead or ergon as it's uh, interpreted in the Greek. So when something is dead, it's not alive. And the word dead is speaking figuratively of acts or ergon, things that are dead. So instead of pressing on towards spiritual maturity, these Jewish Christians were starting to draw back into dead ergon to stimulate their faith. Some were on the verge, however, of departing from the faith. As Christians, we, uh, you know, there are some things we leave behind. And as Christians, these uh, Hebrews apparently had repented of, of those, of doing dead works. They had accepted Christ and, and the new Christian doctrine just as any convert would do uh, to give up the old way and to become a new creature in Christ. But they were stalling out. They weren't going on into maturity. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse uh, 12 through 14, we see some light that is shed upon these Hebrew Christians who are being urged to go on to maturity and, and to understand the role of Christ, saying in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. And this is in reference to Christ as a son of a God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek and the source of eternal salvation, which was hard to explain to those who really weren't listening or didn't want to hear that 
are uh, becoming to have uh, deaf ears to it. They had been followers of Christ long enough to understand the doctrine of Christ, that it was superior to that of Moses and Jesus to be the ideal high priest. Verse 12 says, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you. Again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as, has, as have need of milk and not of strong meat. By this time, he's saying, you ought to be uh, teaching others. By this time, you should have a mature spiritual understanding of their faith in God through Christ and going on to perfection. But they weren't apparently grounded in the faith like they should be. Instead, they were in need of someone to teach them all over again the basic truths of, of God. They needed milk instead of uh, solid food. They were not mature enough to go on. Instead of maturing, they were being babes. And that was holding them back. As time passed, we know that there were thousands of Jews who had believed and had accepted Jesus Christ uh, as Messiah, Messiah through the teachings of the apostles. And we see that in the book of Acts. Verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You know, uh, when you're, you have to be sometimes systematically taught. You have to be, in a way, spoon-fed. You have to be giving uh, the bottle, the milk, the milk of the word to be taught, you know, the ABCs of Christianity in order to mature and to progress and to develop in maturity. The NIV in verse 13 says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. So they had to be fed in order to grow further into righteousness. Verse 14, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. And that means mature, even those by, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, when trials come along in our life, we seek to understand it by going to the scriptures, by reading the word of God to find some sort of light to shed on whatever trial we have, to understand the will of God. So we use scriptures to judge between good and evil and to know righteousness. And, you know, we don't go and try to uh, 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 build an altar and, and, and put a sacrifice on it. We don't go to those rituals or acts to help us. But for these Hebrews, there was a radical change in becoming a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ and trusting in his word. They had given up dead or gone or, or dead works or dead acts, but apparently some just could not get past the idea of works to show their repentance and have forgiveness. But the time we had passed on dead works, and all in all, it was in vain to try to revive them. They were dead, but they were still wondering, still looking at the former faith and at the practices of the old traditions and rituals. Instead of looking ahead, trusting in Christ for the promise of salvation and forgiveness and judgment and eternal life, there was indecision on the part of, the, of some of these Hebrews at least. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2, about going on to perfection and not laying again repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, even today some may, fa uh, may 
feel like they're not really converted. And so they might have an idea of just going back through the whole process over again. And the idea is to go on to maturity, to have the trust and not doubt that they have been forgiven. And of the doctrine, you know, doctrines, their instructions and teachings about a particular belief, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of the re resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Baptism, we know, we know, it, rep it represents a burial of the old self in a watery grave. And there's John's baptism. And there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And even the baptism of fire that, you know, some that we don't really want to uh, come under. But in contrast to those, there were these carnal ordinances that involved washings or baptisms. When Christ came, these became no longer necessary. In Hebrews uh, 9, I don't think I gave this to you, uh, Brian. Let's see if I can turn to it here. Because it occurred to me to include this later. Not used to turning pages much, but it's here somewhere. After in uh, chapter nine and in verse nine, it says, "Those things were a figure for the time then present." in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve, to serve the living God. And the word here in uh, six, chapter 6, the word baptisms means ablutions and it means immersions or washings. And we know that there, were, there are different kinds that, that, uh, that was done. And verse 3, and this will we do if God... Permit. Now, the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned, is uh, written to a, a Jewish community, and in particular, those who had come to accept Jesus Christ, those who had come to see his sacrifice and to believe in his uh, new covenant. Some uh, scholars think it was addressed to Christians of uh, Jewish uh, origin in Rome with the epistle coming from Alexandria, but you know, that's, that would take a survey of the Hebrews, uh, the whole book of Hebrews to you know, uh, know the ins and outs of that particular uh, study. But if, uh, 
so it is speculated that some, that, it w that this book was written after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And that would have been a big blow to uh, the Jewish belief. And however, there are some that believe the temple worship was still going on somewhere around uh, uh, six years before the temple was destroyed. And that would present in itself some concern because there would be conflicting concepts that they would see. And so for some, these Hebrews, it was a big change for them. And you know, a big change when we became Christians might have been a big change from uh, going from Sunday to believe in uh, the Seventh-day Sabbath. And even for Catholics who come into the church and leaving behind, you know, the rituals and all of the other ceremonies that they were acquainted with, that had to be left behind. And so there was a, is a big change there. And so it would be a cause for believers to go back into the world or the, or, or the religion that they left. And so it was especially to the Hebrews who had come from a belief system of sacrifices and rituals that were instituted by Moses and done through the priesthood. It was something that they revered, a form of worship that they felt kept them in favor and standing with God and their religion. So it would have been quite a change and we can look back upon our life and see what kind of changes we made. And sometimes looking back at the changes, you think, well, well is it really necessary? Should, uh, or can we just go back into that? You know, some people have. They've gone back into the world. So it would have been quite a change to accept Christ as the Son of God, the prophesied Savior or Messiah. It would have been quite a change to accept Christ's new covenant over the old one or to accept Christ's sacrifice that atoned for sins once and for all and to accept that the repetitions of the sacrifices that Moses instituted by the word of God were replaced by that one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But what were those sacrifices for anyway? We know that these physical rituals foreshadowed the coming of Christ and they were very important for that time and for that people in the Old Testament church. But we read in the New Testament, John 4.24, where it says that we worship God, that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. And while works were done away, some think it also, however, includes, you know, the doing away the Ten Commandments, like the Sabbath. But the only thing that ended were the sacrifices and the fleshly ordinances. In Hebrews 9 and in verse 10, I'll just read this. It, it says that those things which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation, a time of correction, a time of making straight and uh, going back and explaining what those things were leading to. And so we could also ask, well, when did the sacrificial system start? We go to Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 21 and 23. It says it was actually the second year after Israel came out of Egypt when uh, it was said that uh, uh, to obey my voice. That was, the, uh, that was the expectation before God even set up the sacrificial system. But we know there were uh, sacrifices even before uh, the system 
of sacrifices was set up because we have the example of Abraham, Jacob, Moses. But those were voluntary. They were, they were not commanded as it came to be in the sacrificial system. And those had to be done every day, morning and evening. And the reason is, if we go to Hebrews chapter 10, the reason, in verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins, year after year, every year. They were to serve as reminders. When a person has to take, and this has been uh, illustrated in, in a lot of ways, when a person has to take a pill or to have a shot, uh, he is reminded every time that, he, that his or health is in need of some sort of, uh, what should I say, something to help them live longer. And so you do go without that, uh, then your life could be cut short. And so they were to serve as reminders, just like a pill is to, to keep uh, us living in some cases, or some shot to keep us living in some cases. In the same way, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they remind that there, is, that there was the problem of sin that could take your life. And here... In Hebrews, we see the atonement of Christ once and for all for sin. Through Christ's one sacrifice, the believer was set entirely free from sin and its consequences. Verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. We know that when sin happens, no matter uh, who does it, we do it, or somebody else does it, you know, there's that ripple effect. It affects the society around them. And it puts us, you know, just like uh, in the, the message before. We hear about these things, these sins that have happened. They have a ripple effect that goes throughout the whole community. And it makes us more aware that there is a problem of sin and lack of conscience going on in society around us. Now, we all make mistakes. We miss the mark of being a mature Christian. But the sacrifice of bulls and goats can never put us back on track. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So we're made perfect. We're made holy. We're sanctified by the Holy Spirit when we repent and accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's go back up to Hebrews 10, uh, verse 1 there. Again, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. So those sacrifices were repeated year after year, but it did not make anyone perfect. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. The worshipers would have been cleansed, you know, once and for all, and no longer would have felt guilty for their sins, but it didn't. But those things, those works ceased when Christ came, and those works foreshadowed his sacrifice. And the sacrificial law, a shadow of things to come, was a better sacrifice and a testament uh, to good things in Christ. And that was a plan of God, that's why he sent Christ, to bring good news about salvation. 
Christ said, No man can come unto me unless the Father draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day, at the resurrection, at one of the fundamental doctrines we see of Christ. So we have to, we must trust that we have a calling to Christ and to go on unto perfection, unto maturity in him. Hebrews chapter 10, again, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering uh, thou wouldst not, but a body has has thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, you would not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. And so we see uh, those statements repeated. But uh, on down to verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his uh, enemies be made his footstool. God cannot lie. God's word is truth. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever that are sanctified, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Verse 18, now where remission of these is, you know, that's those sins and the lawlessness, there is no more offering for sin, because once that is done, there's no need for repeating any more uh, offerings like the uh, sacrifices that were repeated every year, daily. Just believe it and go on to perfection. God can't lie. And having a high priest over the house of God, it says to let us draw near in, uh, with, in, with a true heart in full assurance of, of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what the Hebrews had before them was a new way of life a new concept about salvation, about sacrifice, and so on. It was much different from what they had come from, from what their forefathers had. There was a new covenant of promise, a new priesthood, a new washing or cleansing better than the old. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So instead of, uh, of wavering, wandering about uh, salvation, they were to trust in Christ, not dead works that could not make them perfect. Hebrews 9 again, chapter 9. Once again, verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, uh, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of refor uh, Reformation. You know, they were a shadow that pointed forward to uh, a new order of things. I'm going to go ahead and skip the next uh, three verses because they would be a repeat of what I've already said. Except for verse 14, if we can go to that there. 
Brian, there we go. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, the blood of, uh, blood of goats, blood of animals, they, they couldn't do that. Those, those are animals. But this blood of bulls, the blood of goats, was replaced by the blood of the Lamb of God. So it was Jesus, the Son of God, who as a human being paid for sins, paid the price for our sin, the death penalty for our sin, he took upon himself. So it's quite different knowing that there was a, a Son of Man who died in our place. It wasn't an animal, it was, it was Christ. And knowing that his sacrifice purges us from sin, in return, we live unto Christ. And with the mind of Christ in us, we don't carry around an a evil conscience. Verse 15, uh, we'll include this one here. Verse 15, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And, you know, many, of course, had remembered, uh, been brought up knowing uh, the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament regulations, and so there were deep connections to this. But they were a shadow that pointed forward. So, it's no wonder that when Moses spoke every precept of this law uh, to the people, according to the law about the blood of calves and, and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and all that, uh, it's no wonder when you look at that teaching, if you, if you were a Hebrew, uh, you would felt drawn back to those old covenant uh, traditions. But Christ came with a far better covenant as we, you know, if you, uh, we go throughout the book of Hebrews. So he removes sin once and for all, something the sacrifice of animals uh, didn't do. In Hebrews 10, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Through the Holy Spirit, somehow we are wired into the mind of Christ, into the mind of the Father. We become more attentive toward the will of God, toward the mind of Christ, toward the plan of salvation. We become more attentive to those things. And when our hearts and our minds are on, are on Christ, we will mature. And we are more cognizant of God's plan of salvation. Verse 17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. You know, it's once and for all, as I uh, quoted earlier. No need to go back and redo it. But to trust in that one sacrifice of Christ, it was more, which was more than sufficient. So when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, there was no more need for the sacrificial system of, of Judaism. Therefore, brethren, verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with full assurance of faith, having our, heart, our, our hearts 
sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the old way had the high priest go into the Holy of Holies uh, year to year, one year to year, to make atonement. Now we have a high priest who makes uh, daily intercession for us. And there is no reason to doubt these things. So at the time of this letter to the Hebrews, the temple, some say, had not been destroyed. So the works were still being done there, and, and perhaps it was a temptation for, for Jewish Christians to go back and rejoin it. But as we read, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And as we you know, read earlier, the writer of Hebrews is saying to go on unto perfection, to go on uh, unto maturity. Romans 12 Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, li a, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Again, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as stated earlier, you know, it's uh, said to obey is better than sacrifice. And what we see here in the book of Hebrews is that there should be no turning back uh, uh, in looking at Christ's sacrifice because he, he has made it possible for us to go before God, to be in his presence, both for Jew and for Gentile. In Mark uh, chapter 15, when Christ breathed his last, it said the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two, from top to bottom. And what this did was it opened the door into God's presence. When we repent, we are forgiven, and we can uh, have the full assurance that we can draw near to God in prayer and in uh, doing the uh, will of God and knowing that no further sacrifice is needed because Christ did that for us. Hebrews 11, we know, is uh, the faith chapter. It's about uh, faith and those who did not give it up in spite of all the trials and, and uh, situations that they, that they were in. And it speaks to us today. But in Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, I'll read this from the back. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You know, there are some things that just seems to cling to us, like the stick tights you might get while you're walking, you know, in the wilderness, you know, these uh, cockle, cockle burrs and all of that. Sometimes uh, you can't get rid of all of it, but you just got to have patience. You got to pick them all off. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hebrews uh, 
12 and verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. There were so many at that time speaking out against Christ. So many ridiculing him, persecuting him, saying uh, evil things about him. Lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. So we have the example of Christ that no matter what our situation might be, we can look to Christ. We can look to the scriptures. And we can be uh, uh, mature. Hebrews uh, 12, verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In conclusion, uh, we'd like to read Hebrews 13, 9 through 16. Uh, even though it's on the board, it's kind of hard for me to follow along there. But I'll try. Hebrews 13. One way to mature, another way, there's lots of ways, to mature, to go on to perfection, is verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. In verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. We have an altar. We, uh, verse 11, for the bodies of those those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp or without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So as you look back into the Old Testament, you see some corresponding things that the book of Hebrews is trying to teach us. Verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his report, re reproach to go with Christ because at that time they were per, uh, Jews were being persecuted because they believed in Christ and Christ suffered the same thing as he was coming along. For we, here we have no continuing city. We have no continuing city. There's nothing lasting here on this earth. We don't have a continuing city but we seek one that is to come. Hebrews chapter 13. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, giving thanks in his honor. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And so you can read uh, the rest of that, and it tells us about Christian living. But on down to verse uh, 20. One that I would leave, would like to leave us with today. Now the God of peace, verse 20, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, verse uh, 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. We have to mature toward Christ. We have to uh, aim for Christ as our perfect example. Uh, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen, or so be it.